All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, let's go ahead and get started. Um, we've got a thin crowd today, so I feel kind of silly standing way up here. But anyway, um, this morning we're going to study um, Psalm 139, and I'm really excited about that because it is one of my favorite um, things in the Bible. Um, it's probably the first part of the Bible that I ever memorized, and it, it, it's something I go back to um, very, very often, uh, because it just, if you go through this, you'll understand why I'm so jazzed about it. Um, this morning, we're going to start out with uh, prayer, uh, and then we'll let you guys continue your group discussion, and because we got kind of a small group here today, we can probably spend a little bit more time, maybe get started at 925 maybe allow a little more time for people to file in. And then we'll jump right into uh, talking about the psalm. And today we're going to do this, I think, in a, in a little bit more uh, interactive way. I think Psalm 139 is so rich and it's so personal that um, I know a lot of people who've read it and are familiar with it, um, it, it, it touches p- people in different ways, and I want to kind of draw that out. Um, or if it's the first time, I hope not, but if it's the first time that you've ever delved into this psalm, um, as you're reacting to... Um, the beautiful language that's used. Um, you know, I'd like you to participate and, and, and talk about the things that it makes you think about. Um, so let's start out with a prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into the discussion. <clears throat> uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning, um, for uh, all the folks here today. Uh, and Father, we just ask you to bless our time together and uh, open our hearts, open our minds, and, and let us really and truly connect with the spirit of this beautiful psalm uh, that David wrote so so long ago. And Father, we just uh, we acknowledge always that you are sovereign, that you are Lord, that you are the creator, and we just are in awe. We marvel at the amazing works of your hand and the amazing work that you uh, do in us continuously every day of our lives. So Father, bless us and bless our time here and uh, let us learn more so that we... Uh, can walk better with you, and so that we can be better witnesses for the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, continue your discussings. Just record again, the far right one. Just if you hit that. Okay. Well, I hope you guys had uh, some good conversation on the group questions. Um, I'm going to go ahead and flip over to them, and we can maybe... We can maybe talk about a couple of them. Um, I put four questions up. I didn't expect that we'd get through all four of them, so we might talk about one or two now, and and then uh, and then at the end talk about a couple of them. So, you know, did you guys discuss any examples of you know God's creative power? Um, there's ample examples in the psalm, obviously, but a lot of us have our favorites. Somebody doesn't start, I'll pick. You know, just look around. You know, it's got from the stars to the fall color to the. I don't know if anybody saw the Northern Lights this week earlier. No, really? Yeah, they, was, they came pretty far south this, this Sunday night and Monday night. Honey, you have to call me when you know about that. Okay? Okay. I did it. I missed awesome. it myself, but I saw pictures of it. Yes. And then the next night we only saw Dale saw a sliver of it. I was wearing a shoe, dude. Jealous. But uh, just, you know, just look around. I mean, you know, take your eyes up, look up, and, yeah. and, and see it. 
So, I mean, we talked a lot, but. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies behind the work of his hands. Then it goes on to say, Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. How many people laid on the grass and stared up at the stars in the summertime, right? I mean, we've all done that as a kid. If you haven't done it recently as a grown-up, I know sometimes it's hard to lay on the grass. But, <laughs> but let me tell you something. It's actually, I think, more profound when you do it as an adult. And I've had the opportunity to do it because I've got kids that hadn't done it before, so I went and did it with them. Um, it's really more profound as an adult because you're, you have a different way of thinking about not only what you're looking at, but also the implications of God's majesty and his creative power, you know, now that you know a little bit more about those points in the sky. Um, it's pretty awesome. Especially if you go out somewhere away from the city, up out in one of those kinds of we go to New yeah. Mexico, you can actually see a lot more stars than you do out here. Well, I know the, my first trip to the Amazon, um, that was a level of darkness I had never encountered before, where you're, when they shut the boat lights off, you literally can go like this, and you're like, what is happening? But then, as soon as your eyes adjust and you look up, it's the first time in my life that I ever actually saw the Milky Way. I mean, literally, like somebody just spilled milk across the sky. I'm like, whoa! What is that? Incredible. Incredible. So, one of the ones we talked about over here, why, why do we think life is precious to God? What is it about life? Jude, I, oh, Mark, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to make one comment on the first one. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't understand it, but I mean, when you look at cosmology, uh, that's we the study of big stuff in space. Of how it connects to us, but when you, when we think about cosmology and just the study of the universe, um, one of the key things that that has just resonated in my soul about the, um, the about how big God is is that. Um, has to do with his, you know, his, his glory that's displayed in the universe. And when I talk about that, I talk about, like, you know, did you know, right? And, and it's hard to wrap our minds even around this, right? It, that that our galaxy probably has over a, maybe a billion stars. Um, and, and, and then they believe now that in the universe, which is ever-expanding, that there's a billion galaxies with a billion stars. And, and we can just see the ones that we can see. I mean, who is all that for? That's for the glory of God. That's, that's utterly amazing. Like trillions and trillions of stars. He says he knows every one of those by name. That's unbelievable. Yeah. You can't even get your mind around it, really. Uh, it's just incredible. Yeah, and that's why I picked this picture here. That's the Horsehead Nebula, uh, as taken from the, the Hubble Space Telescope. And you know, when you think about some of the things that we've developed in just the last 20 years in terms of space technology, um, it's such a blessing from God that we're able to. It's, it's like He's given us new eyes for this age to go even further and further and further into the universe to see these majestic things. Um, whereas before they were just blurry little things on a on a slide. Today we see them revealed as amazing works of art that the greatest human artist couldn't even conceive of. And there they are, hanging in space, for us and for God. It's just amazing stuff.
Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that illumination there. Um, so let's talk about the third question. Why is life precious to God? Um, to me, it's precious to God because um, as soon as I got out of the uh, um, schooling, I went immediately into the army because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, and there was no war on then. So, um, anyways, I um, was in the active army for two years, and active reserves for two years, and all that time there was no war. But supposing there would have been a war and I would have been maimed or killed, I wouldn't have been able to uh, play the piano or for the uh, senior citizens at my facility or anything like that. I wouldn't even be here. Right. Perhaps so I don't the point know there for sure, God, but God um, had a plan for your life, and yeah. the reason you're here today and the reason you were there 45, 50 years ago, mm-hmm. it's all part of God's plan. That's right. Absolutely. Anybody else got a thought on this one? Well, we talked about. We said that it was His idea. You know that it's you know how when you create something, you know it was his plan, it was his will, it was his thoughts, it was his everything, and we came up with Revelation four eleven in our discussion. We're very your Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Because it's precious to him because of all things. Absolutely. We had a discussion at our table over here about how. Uh, well, I'm not going to yours to share with us. What, what was your thought on, on why God created life and why it's so precious to him? I think God created life because he is not one to be alone. And he created life to have a relationship with him. And relationship is valuable to God and it's valuable to us. Build on that. I mean, he says, you know, in verse 17, he says, How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God, how vast is the sum of them. You know, you think about um, the word precious, and you know, to my mind comes um, something of an immense value. Um, for some reason, don't know completely why, but the immense value that has to do with two dimensions our treasure and his pleasure which is amazing um, when you think about like how those connect, what's the intersection of those two, and why does it even exist. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm actually, I was telling these guys here at this table, I'm actually uh, doing a study myself right now on uh, the angelic realm, trying to understand, because I've always had this question of, why did God make two different types of beings that he could relate to? You know, he made the angels first, and then he made us, and I always wondered, you know, clearly that was part of God's plan, but was it, you know, made the angels, and we're getting along great with these guys, but they're not as fun. Let's get somebody else over here. I, did, I just always wondered, why did God want two different, two very, very different sets of beings that he could relate to? And, and I'm learning about that right now. I haven't got an answer yet, so I'll let you know that. I think maybe one of the other reasons is, is that, at least as far as human life is concerned, it, it's made in the image of God. Right. So that's his crowning jewel of creation. I mean, you think about all this other stuff we're talking about, but it's, it's um, human beings that he called like the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. He says pinnacle. And it's most like him in character that he desires it to be. 
and I think that he holds that life in very, very high esteem. All right. Well, cool. We'll, we'll tackle these other two questions as we uh, go through here. So let's just kind of dive into it. I want to give you a little bit of background on Psalm 139 first. There's not a lot to it, but it is a little bit. This is kind of a unique psalm um, when you consider. Um, it's not so unusual that it was written by David, because a lot of them were. But the interesting thing is this psalm is really not connected to the two major themes that you see in the psalms. One being the temple worship, and the other being God's dealing or God's interaction with Israel. It really doesn't have anything to do with those two major topics, so it's, it's kind of unique in that regard. And I think because of that, and because of the nature of the, the outpouring uh, of David's heart, it's, a, it's the most intimate um, words that, that David ever spoke, uh, at least in the Psalms. Um, and it's interesting when you consider that, that these aren't things that David is just imagining in his mind. They're not things that came to him in, in some obscure way. Everything that he talks about in the Psalms, based on his experience in his lifetime, his experience with the world, his experience with other people, his experience with God, um, in the ups and downs, the highs and lows of his life. So it really is this very intimate, almost like a love letter to God. And, and I think that, I remember reading this for the first time when I was about 10 or 11 years old, and it struck me as a... Um, a really personal, I felt, I almost felt like, wow, I shouldn't be reading this. This is almost like finding somebody's love letter, you know, under their pillow, and I shouldn't be reading it. And then I remember as a, as a young man reading it, and, and it, it's striking me on a very different level, on an intellectual level, where I was very much into science and stuff like that, and I was like, wow, see? Yeah, you know. And today, it strikes me in a very different way again, because I'm in a different season of life. So I think it's so powerful in that regard, and, I think it's one of the great um, parts of the Bible, especially when we're dealing with either you know, unbelievers or people who are kind of new to the faith. I think it's a wonderful touchstone for folks in that situation because it does have that amazing power to speak in different ways to different people. That's why I love talking about it because different people connect with the different four or five parts of it um, that we'll, we'll actually go through and talk about. All right. Psalm 139 has a structure, like so many of the psalms do. Uh, again, this one's a little bit unique because this talks about three aspects of God's character, one of the realities of God's power, and then a special section at the end that we'll talk about. So verses 1 through 6 are celebrating God's omniscience. What do we mean by God's omniscience? Who knows that right, God's, God's complete and utter knowledge, right? There's nothing that God doesn't know. Okay, Think of it in a different way though, that God's personality, God's mind extends to every corner of his creation and beyond, right? Because God doesn't just inhabit this universe that we are inside of. God is that plus everything else, whatever that everything else is. So when you think of God's omniscience, he knows everything that was everything that will be, everything that could be, every thought before we have it, every action before we take it, every permutation of every decision that we could make, multiplied by every person who is alive today and who has ever lived. Ponder that for a minute, and you will get a headache. (laughs) Um, Thoughts on this? Because 
thinking about God's omniscience is one of those things that kind of makes you almost jump outside your body. <laughs> you know? What your thoughts? Dale, I know you did that when you were a kid in school. <laughs> Am I really here? Well, sometimes I wonder, I wonder if, he, if he knows everything to that degree, then why did he do some things the way he did? Uh, <laughs> careful. <laughs> we're not on mission. We don't know everything he's thinking. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, that thought of, of, a, of a being who could know everything about everybody for all time. You can't even you can't even get your head around that. And I think that's that fact alone is kind of the point. The fact that God is that much bigger than us. And it's astonishing when you stop and think about that, you almost wonder how could we engage in those times when we question God? You know? And then we all do it. Like, oh man, why are you doing just shut up. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you really just remind yourself of God's omniscience, and that'll that'll take you back back to a place you you should probably be. So that's verses one through six, and we'll go through and we'll, we'll talk specifically about the implications of that. Verses seven through twelve talk about God's omnipresence. What is God's omnipresence? Please. Oh, what what God does now? Okay. And how he feels about it. Okay. Anybody else? That he's uh, present everywhere and fills uh, the whole world and is higher than the highest heavens. Yep. That, that, that is the, God, the God's spirit, let's think of it that way, God's presence, fills all of creation. So God is simultaneously, physically present everywhere in his creation. That's pretty wild. I know I wish I could be in just two or three places at once most days. But can you imagine God actively... And when you think about God's omniscience, it almost leads us to the conclusion that he necessarily must be omnipresent. For him to have knowledge of everything that's happening everywhere at all time, he must be everywhere all the time. Physically present, right? I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing, Mark. build on that, just um, the omniscience piece of it has not just to do with knowing what's going on, mm-hmm. but literally reading everybody's mind and knowing what that is, yeah. too. So it's you know, the everlasting now, the total, um, all, all places. It's just it's mind-boggling. Yeah. And when you consider that God lives outside of time, God is present everywhere at all times for all time. So he is everywhere that has ever been right now. <laughs> that just blows my mind. It really does. The next uh, series of verses, 13 through 18, deal with God's omnipotence. And I think you can kind of see a progression going on here. Yes? God's, God's all-knowing. That's his omniscience. His omnipotence has to do with what? What, is, what does the word potent mean? God's all-powerful. Power. So this is about God's unlimited power. His ability to do all things. So first there is his ability to know all things. Then omnipresence is his ability to be everywhere, present with all things. And then the omnipotence is his power, his sovereign power over all things. Because again, if he created everything, 
which he did, we know that. Clearly, he, he owns and has power over that thing. But when you consider, especially when you consider the, uh, the verse that, that John read just a moment ago, about how God didn't just create everything, but he currently sustains all things as well through an active, willful intent. So the fact that we're here, the fact that we're alive, that we're able to breathe, that the lights are shining on me, that, that all of this stuff that makes our bodies is holding together even, that's because God wills it to be from moment to moment to moment throughout all time. That's amazing. And that's why I think when we witness, when we talk to people who don't really understand God and his nature, I think something like Psalm 139 has the ability to answer a whole bunch of questions with some very simple words. Because when you consider, it's hard for some people who really don't know God's character to conceive of a God, a being, who can know everything about you, know the intent of your heart, understand where your life is going and have a plan for it. They have a hard time wrapping their mind around that. But if you, if you blow it up to a level where you can explain what these three terms really mean, then all of that other stuff that, that we tend to spend a lot of time learning about as new Christians becomes just a, well, oh, duh, of course. Of course God knows the, the intent of my heart. He's everywhere all the time and has power over everything. Of course he knows what I want to do next Tuesday or what my aspiration for college is or why I'm angry with my parents, right? He, it, it's a no-brainer at that point. So I, I think that's another another place where we can use a tool like Psalm 139 to, to really be effective witnesses. The next section, David really changes the tone of the psalm. And this is where he, he goes through a little bit of a litany um, railing against... Uh, God's enemies. And and we'll explore why that is. I think it makes perfect sense once you understand the first three parts. But here, what you'll see is that that David is really aligning himself with God's power and might. And that's something you would expect a king to do, right? Especially a king who who served the living God. And we'll see how that happens. And then the last uh, two verses, David is asking God to refine his heart and his mind. And... uh, it's an interesting capstone at the at the end of the at the end of the song. So let's go ahead and just jump right into it. Making good progress here. <clears throat> psalm one thirty nine verses one through six, and this is taken from the, from the ESV. Um, so if you have different uh, Bible version, it might be a little bit different. <clears throat> o Lord, you have searched me and know me. That first verse. He's saying an awful lot. <laughs> you could probably spend an hour just talking about the implications of God searching us and knowing us. What is David talking about when he says, God, you have searched me? Well, there's nothing we can do to fool him you know, into thinking we're somebody uh, different than we really are. Like we try to do with... Uh, you know, all of our friends and family and so on. True. To, uh, to know, I think, really, in the first relationship here, we want to be known by God because he has said that, you know, uh, those that do not belong to him, I never knew you. And uh, so that's important. Of course, knowing also uh, uh, refers to uh, the marital or sexual relationship as well. 
that it does. There's yes. a verse that says... You before we were born, and years, generations before that. Absolutely. And he researched it, researched it, this is what we're going to become, and that's the way it is. You're right. And he actually, a few verses down, actually speaks to that, about how God knows us intimately before we're even formed in our mother's womb. Right. That's amazing. Paul? Yeah, there's a verse that says, God looks on the, or man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. That's right. That's right. Does any of this matter to God? The outward, no. no. This is just stuff. This stuff is no different than this stuff, or that chair, that table. It's all stuff to God. But the inside part, who we really are, the spirit of man, is what he's really concerned with, absolutely. And he searches us with um, just eternal, infallible knowledge. Um, so he, he, he knows, and because he knows, he's able to search. I think that's the key component here, mm-hmm. that why, why ask God to search, you know, or acknowledge that he has searched me, um, is because... Nobody else really can. Nobody else really can. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So in verse 2, he goes on and he says, you, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Um, this is amazing to me because, again, here in uh, 3,000, a little over 3,000 years ago, here's a man who is clearly on the right track in terms of God's true nature. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, the implication there is that, like John said, there's, I can't hide anything, even my actions, inside my house to God. But he didn't choose, you, you know when I'm angry with somebody or you know when I cuss out my wives or whatever. He, he picked something really mundane. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Something you do a hundred times a day. Well, why would he pick something so mundane? I think the point there is that God not only knows when you do those mundane things, but he cares about everything that you do. Not just the, the, the times when you make a choice to sin or not sin, but every action that we take matters to God, and as a result of it mattering to God, has an implication in eternal terms. That's huge. Um, you ponder that for a little while, and it makes everything that we do and say and think about really high stakes. <laughs> We've talked about that a lot, that just, you know, knowing that God cares about the details and the things that we care about, yeah. you know, and he proves that more and more, <laughs> you know, he just, he does, and you're right, I never thought about that, the sitting down, how many we do that only times a day, you know, and it just seems so detailed, like, you know, I mean, if you're going to get it down to that little minute detail, but God is intimately aware of those minute mm-hmm. details, what, even the cares and concerns of our heart. Absolutely. Intimately acquainted, that he knows. So, anyways, and, and, and going that. on in that, in that same sense, he says, you discern my thoughts from afar, meaning that <clears throat> even when, and it's not that he's saying, when God, when you're far from me, because God literally is never far from David, right? Or us. But sometimes we feel like God is far from us. Many times we are pushing God away from us. He's not part of our current thought process. He's not part of our heart mechanism at the moment. So David here is acknowledging that you discern my thoughts, you know my thoughts, you understand deeply, in the deepest way possible, my thoughts, even when I'm not thinking about you. Mark? 
Yeah, <laughs> just to build on that, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a sense of thoughts from afar being um, uh, measured in distance, mm. which I think is probably where he's coming from. But there's an interesting other, another point, which is measuring it through, as to time. time. In other words, before I even think about it, you discern my thoughts. Yeah. Which is, you know my thoughts before I do them. Absolutely. Which is an amazing dimension. And, and, and King, right off of that, going into verse 3, he says, You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. So here the metaphor he's using is uh, going somewhere, intending to go somewhere, going somewhere, and the reasons why we go somewhere. So he's talking about travel or a progression through life. That's the obvious meaning. But really what he's talking about is your, your life the, 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 the narrative, the history, the potential of your life from beginning to end. And he's saying how God, again, searches out my path, as we talked about in the first verse, not just knowing, but deeply understanding all of the implications for everything that was going to happen in David's life. Understanding exactly why David wants to do things and how he's going to do things and shaping his existence through that perfect knowledge of God. That's a, that, for a long time, was a tough verse for me because I was like, hmm, you search out my path and my lying down. What does he mean by lying down? What do you think, the, why did he use the, the term lying down there? Let's think about that for a minute. There could be a dimension of this that could be um, my, um, my path and my lying down being my public and my private life, um, both, you, you see into both dimensions of the life. Yep. Good. Verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Yeah. I, this is my least favorite verse. Because <laughs> the implications are, are really upsetting. <laughs> um, yeah, let's delve into that for a minute. Who wants to tackle that? I have a reference back to uh, the 94th Psalm. Yeah. Uh, it says, Pay heed, you senseless among the people, and when you under- when will you understand, stupid ones? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke? Even he who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. He created us in detail. He knows how to search out that detail. He knows the thoughts before we think of them. John? He knows our intent of our hearts, our motives, very abstract things. Absolutely. How does that impact us then? I mean, let that sink in for a second. And how ought we behave then if that is the case? Well, I think, I mean, from a tongue perspective, which is kind of the point of this one, right, is primarily at least, is, you know, we, we see. James chapter 3, just yes. like on fire about, you know, what our tongues can do, about how they um, enable the adversary's um, 
conflagration in our lives, and and they and, and in the same section it really talks about how it can be a balm or, or soothing. It can, it can be a, a word of encouragement and building one another up. And you know the question at the end of the day is like you know when I leave somebody's presence personally, you know which side of that have I really done? Yeah. When I think about it. Well, I know personally this is an area where I, I probably most often forget that God is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. <laughs> For being gracious. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> but and you know the scripture also says that out of our mouth is what our you know our out of overflowing our, of our heart. It's our an heart. overflow of our heart. So you know it goes way deeper than you know some of that. But our hearts are revealed by what comes out of our mouth. Amen. Verse 5. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. What does that mean? You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Sounds like protection. Collected the lock. Mighty fortress. Yeah. I always got this vision of God with his, his arms just around, ready to just fend off anything that might come at you. We should draw a tremendous strength from that when you think about it, right? When you think about that. That, that God, creator of the universe, creator of us, stands at our defense 24-7. But again, how many times do we really access that defense actively? Do we say, you know, we're pretty good at it when times are tough, right? Especially when things get really bad and we're at the end of our rope and we don't know what else to do. Then, then, we're, then we want to recognize the fortress that's around us. We want to run for the gate, right? And just to build on that, I think, yeah. you know, so many times we get hemmed in by God and we don't know, we're not aware of what's happening. No clue. The situations and circumstances hem us in and we hate it. And we actually push against it. And at the end of the day, it's literally for those who love God, the discipline of the Lord. And he asks us to embrace it, not push it away. Yeah. And when we do that, he, we, we acknowledge his sovereign, protective power in our lives to say, this too is good for me. Um, and I think that's crucial for us to get it's interesting the word he uses there, you hem me in. Because that can be used in a positive or in a negative light, no matter how, you know, depending what your, your implication is there. And it also it brings in the, the notion of like a pen of animals, where you know, we pen our, our farm animals in for their own protection, but left to their own accord, the sheep and the horses would much rather run free, right? Um, but, but us and our sovereign knowledge about the dangers that lie out there for the sheep we know they need to be in the pen. And it's interesting that David, I don't know whether he knowingly or unknowingly, uh, used the right word here, though, and God used the right word, because that's exactly what Mark said. It's, it's both God's sovereign protection over us, whether we like it or not. Many times we don't. But we don't even have an awareness of it many times. I think this would be an important <coughs> verse to remember, because each of us at times feels alone. Absolutely. And we should because God is before us and behind us, all around us. He has His hand on us. 
He just, you know, he had David to say so. That his hand is on us, therefore he is with us at all times. Yeah. Verse 6 says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. <clears throat> and here I think this I there's not a lot of pondering here. David is acknowledging that God, you're so much bigger than me. You know so much more. There's no way that my mind can even begin to contain the glory that is you. And and he recognizes too that he cannot attain it. So this notion that, especially for a king, when you consider it, right, a king is throughout the, his life becomes wiser and wiser and wiser, um, and that's a that's an important role for a king. Uh, but he is recognizing that even I, as king, cannot ever attain even a, a measure of what you are, God. There was one thing that I uh, got to see that was really too wonderful for me. And that was when I was in Atlanta, I got to go down a couple of times through extended uh, weekends to Jacksonville Beach. Well, on Jacksonville Beach, there, of course, it's hurricanes hit there. And there was this solid sidewalk was completely buckled that way because of the hurricane strength. And a tornado is one thing, but hurricanes are even more powerful, and it's just too wonderful to uh, attain as to what they are now. I was never there when a hurricane hit, but I got to see the results of it. Yeah. yeah. Anybody ever been around a tornado? Ever, ever seen one? Yeah. yeah. You get an immediate, very clear picture of how small you are and how powerful God is. <laughs> Not something I, I recommend. Think, I think this. I think this psalm sets us up to have a high view of God. Like yeah. In our lives, uh, uh, living in a, with a biblical worldview is, is literally about um, uh, acquiring and keeping a high view of God. And, and I think verse six is really about. You know, I mean, on our highest tiptoes, you know, we we can't even come to grips with um, the lowest step of the, of the throne of the eternal. You know, we can't even begin to even see it. No. And, and I think that that's huge for us to remember in our lives, too. The, the more higher God is in our lives, the greater our ability is to acknowledge Him and, and, and live for Him. In my own life, I, you know, it is the single issue that keeps me from sin, um, is, is the knowledge of Amen. Scripture says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. Indeed. All right, let's. We're going to need to pick up the pace here a little bit. See, I told you there's a lot to this. I'm kidding you. Verse seven. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? Again, David is giving us a very clear picture of of that God is everywhere. That there's no escaping God's eye. There's no escaping His presence. And it's interesting that He's talking about not how, where shall I find you, God, but again, He's talking about those moments, those times in our lives where we, we actively try to avoid God's eye, where we flee from His presence, right? Because when we're in sin, we don't want to be <laughs> necessarily in God's presence because that's where the crushing weight of our conscience. You know, the Spirit convicts us, and we know that we've done wrong. 
you know, just like Adam and Eve, uh, where they foolishly tried to hide from God in the garden. He's like, seriously, guys? Where are you? Really? <laughs> nice pig leaf, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's also interesting on this verse, there's no answer. It's There's a question that says, it, absolutely. hello? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it did. It made it immediately, immediately harken back to that, what I think is God's first funny moment in the Bible, yeah. in Genesis, where he's like, hey, Adam and Eve, where, where are you guys? I, you know, Marco, Polo. <laughs> um, verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So again, the notion here is that... <clears throat> No matter where I go, whether it's to the highest heaven or to the grave, you're there. You're filling everything that is. And again, he, he counterpoints this with two different, you know, the, the two end points of life, right? Either with God or dead in the grave. Um, again, I think giving us a sense that, you know, he's, he's talking about the width and the height, and then now it's going to be the breadth. Of, of God's expanse. Okay, so verse nine: If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right right hand shall hold me. So again, it's just more expansive language around. No matter where I go, no matter how I go, you're always going to be there. And the key part here is that again, God is going before us; He's leading David, right? And he's actively holding you. He's, he's sustaining you. He's guiding you. He's with you. And the idea here is, you know, almost like a, a father. You know, remember when you, you, you're walking out of Target with your little kids, right? What's the first thing you do is you get to the curb, right? You grab their hands, right? Because kids, what is it about kids that they just want to run out into a parking lot? Exactly. Why is, what? It's, it's really astonishing. Anyway. But that's the first thing you do, right? You want to grab onto them so that you can protect them and kind of guide them where they need to go because you know that they don't know any better. They don't even understand that there are a million things out there that could kill them and run them over. That's, that's the picture I get of God here where he's saying, okay, David, come here, man. Give me your hand. We're going we're gonna to walk together here because you're kind of dumb. <clears throat> Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. That's one of those molasses thick <laughs> couple of verses. There's a, he's saying an awful lot of stuff here in, in just a few words. So, again, on the surface level, he's talking about God's ability to see inside your heart. Okay, The good and the bad, the light and the dark. But he's also making a very... Um, scientific statement here, or a very, a very uh, direct statement about creation as well, where God sees everything. Big stuff, little stuff, tiniest stuff, dark stuff, light stuff. And for those of you who watch the Discovery Channel, you know about dark matter, normal matter, stuff. I mean, there's a lot packed in to this statement that is pretty amazing. Um, but the key takeaway here is that, again, there's no hiding our thoughts, our true intentions, our actions, or who we are from the sovereign God. He's always there. He can see everything that we are, everything that we want to be. Um, 
and there's no hiding from him. 13 through 16. I love this. This was, this was the, the, the meaty part of this psalm that just, just really got my attention even when I was 10 years old. It said, 13, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. The, the language that David uses here, I think, is so incredibly ahead of its time. Because <laughs> again, as we were talking at our table here, it's, it's interesting to me how throughout human history, God has given us knowledge that's appropriate to, to the stage of development and the, the state of our minds. Uh, you know, when David, in David's time, 3,000, 3,100 years ago, you know, he, he gave David a sense that, you know, that, that child that's inside the womb, it's, he used a metaphor that David would understand, right? That, that God knitted that child together like somebody would, would knit, you know, a piece of clothing or textile, right? Today, you know, 3,100 years later, we know a whole lot more about the processes that are going on inside um, you know, a woman's womb when a baby is being developed. We know a lot more about the stuff that makes up our bodies. And it's interesting, though, when you look at DNA, what is DNA? When you, when you look at DNA, the double helix, it looks like yarn, does it not? <laughs> it looks like a strand of yarn. And when you consider, he's saying here, how you knit us together in our mother's womb, and, and, and the very stuff, the thing that makes us us, God absolutely knit that together. He just did it with molecules of proteins. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really extraordinary. Um, but again, the implication here is that God, not through some great process that he started in motion, however far back in the past, and now is just kind of happening on its own, but for each individual human being that is born and has ever been born, ever will be born, God is actively with his hands, creating and forming that individual spirit, that individual body. That is an amazing prospect. Because that means that you, Dale, Connie, John, and every one of you is absolutely unique in the entire history of mankind. Nobody like you has ever been before, nobody ever will be. You are completely unique. And, and even your spirit whether it's in its current form inside this body or later in our glorified bodies, you are completely unique. And as a result, you are knowable as a unique individual by God. That's incredible. That he'll know us just by sight. Hey, Linda, how you doing? Nice to see you again. You know, that's an amazing thing. Verse 14, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So here, this is, I just get the sense that <clears throat> David's gotten to this point in his ponderings where this is just the overflow of his heart. He's just like, <laughs> I've got to pause for a moment here, God, and I, I just need to say, wow. Wow. There's lots of implications here in these verses that you'll hear me talk about again in a few weeks when we tackle the topic of abortion. Um, another reason why I kind of picked this picture, because I think... Uh, when, when you really understand what David is saying about God's character here, that other topic becomes really easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, 15 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now, he shifts the scene here, right? 
Before he was talking about how when I was made inside my mother's womb, now he's talking about intricately woven in the depths of the earth. I think what he's talking about here, Mark, please correct me if I'm wrong, he's talking about the stuff that we're physically made of. Because even 3,100 years ago, the Greeks had already kind of figured out that the stuff we're made of is the same as the stuff that's out there in the rest of the universe. And what he's saying here is that just the stuff that is my being, that is my body, was intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Because again, in, in that culture, that's where they assumed everything came from. Because they saw volcanoes explode, molten rock comes out, it hardens into rock, and it's like, oh, that's where all this stuff kind of comes from. It comes from the earth, right? Not too far off the mark. We know today it all comes from the center of suns. No problem. So it's just a big volcano, really. But here he's really talking about how everything that I am, my physical body and my spirit, you know, you created, you formed, you fashioned. Mark, do you want to add to that at all? Yeah. I, yeah. I, mean, I think the depths of the earth um, could be that. It could it could also just be as looking down from above, you know, it's the uh, private womb of a woman, you know, that, that is away from everything else. It's in the depths. It's, it's uh, not, not known. It's not seen. It's it's away from all. So, yeah. Yes, Linda? The first thing that came to my head was just that, you know, God formed Adam from the dust. From the dust, yeah. And I, I think I heard somewhere a long time ago that um, when they chemically analyze people, our chemical makeup is very... More carbon. More carbon, just like soil, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I mean, element for element, the composition, the ratios that exist in our body are almost identical to what you find as the ground just general soil. It's incredible. Just they say dust to dust. Absolutely. Man is actually both made and created. He was made for the dust of the ground, but he, what is created in him is God's eternal spirit. Absolutely. In 16, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So here he's talking about, again, the substance, the unformed substance, the thing that you are, your spirit, body, both. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. So he's saying, all my entire life, everything that I was going to do was already known to you. It was already written in your book. right? Even though I hadn't lived a single one of them yet. So think about that. And I don't want to get into a Calvinist versus anything else kind of an argument, but <laughs> say that for another day. But yeah. Speaking of being fearfully and wonderfully made, I was at the, um, the Museum of Science and Industry, and they had an exhibit that showed the uh, progression of the uh, infant in the mother's womb from shortly after conception to like just almost yeah. birth, and it was really interesting to see how... It progressed and how it became almost like a baby in the end, just before it was born. Yep. Yep. You have a you have a, a full time membership to the science science and industry museum. You go no. to a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's one of my favorite places. <laughs> let's uh, let's jam on here. So we got a, little, a few more minutes here. So in 17, he goes into talking about how precious to me are your thoughts of God. How vast is the sum of them? Mark had mentioned this before. Again, this notion that once we, once we have a sense for how big God is, 
for how sovereign he is, um, you can't have anything but absolute awe and wonder at it. And, and as Mark said, you know, David is talking about how precious they are. It's, it's, it's beyond just I value it. It's the most important thing. You know, something that I want to keep for myself and hide away uh, because it's, it's the thing I value more than anything else. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Those are two very interesting sentences, and they don't necessarily seem to connect. What do you think he's talking about here? If I, if I would count them, he's referring in the previous verse to God's thoughts. They are more than the sand. So that's fairly clear. God's got a big mind. God knows a lot of stuff. Wow. Okay. I awake and I am still with you. Where, what's that? said about? Why do you put that there? There's a sense, I think, of being with God is the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And, and when we think about the presence of God in our lives, it's really about um, you know the intimacy of God and, and our worship for God. And I think, I think his whole point is, is you know, we, we can't what I was talking about earlier, the large the high view of God, is we really can't worship a God we don't really know. Mm-hmm. And so as, he, as he's like laying this out, I think it's I think his thankfulness and his worship, you know, are just like growing on steroids, you know. And it's like he's come to this place of saying, you know, I when, when I went to sleep, I was I was I was I was with you, right? And when I woke up, I was with you. I, I, my my thought processes towards you continue, you know, beyond the sleep patterns. You know. And we just talked about it, um, knowing his might is, you know, all of this, and then you think of me. You know, mm-hmm. when I'm asleep and when I'm awake. You know, all of this, but yet, you're, you know, how precious are your thoughts mm-hmm. to me? I just it just gets to be so intimate in that section there. So. And, and again, I think here, here, as Mark just said, we, David has kind of been building, building, building uh, to this crescendo of praise and worship to God through all of these things that he's realized and come to understand. And now that he's got this radically different, transformed picture of God and a much more intimate picture of God, now he compares that to what he sees in the world. And in this, this reaction that David has is startling, I think. This is one of the most, I think it's one of the biggest breaks in tone I've ever seen in a song. He immediately goes to, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. Huh? What? We were just talking about how awesome and majestic God is and how wonderful his knowledge is. And now, now you're talking about slaying the wicked. What's going on here? Well, think about this. If, if you've now just come to this understanding, this precious relationship with the Creator God of the universe, and you see out here unbelievers, people who don't hold that same level of esteem for God, his reaction is anger, the righteous anger overflowing out of him. And he's saying to God, these other people, they don't know you. Do away with them. I think, build on that, I mean, I think uh, our zeal, our, our zeal for, call it, the glory of God or his name's sake, um, literally is a true test of our worship. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the fact that his worship is like where it's at, and then he <laughs> sees this, it's like, the higher our view of God is, the clearer our own sin and the sin of others is going to yeah. jump out of it. And again, he goes on and gets a little bit more specific here. They speak against you with malice, and, malice intent. 
your enemies take your name in vain. So he's, obviously he's talking about people who engage in Baal worship and other pagan uh, religions. You know, just this is not that it wasn't good to me before God, but wow, now that I know you, now that I truly understand in my limited human capacity who you really are, this is that much more unacceptable to me as a man, as a follower of God, and certainly as a king. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? You know, again, a rhetorical question to God, because God knows. <laughs> God knows that he hopes that David really and truly does feel that way. And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? So again, he's, he's reaffirming to God that, hey, I'm in your camp, God, I get it now. Um, help me to oppose those who oppose you. And then he, he caps it off, just in case you were confused, just in case you didn't get it. I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. That's pretty definitive. He's clearly aligning himself with God, um, as any smart king would do. But for David, as a true believer, true follower of God, um, he's doing it with a, with a, with a clear uh, and honest heart. Anybody know what that picture is, by the way? It's pretty. Yeah. It's called the Helix Nebula. It's about 700 light years away from here. And that's a, that's a newer photo from 2009 taken by the Hubble Telescope. And what you're looking at, remember we talked about the DNA helix? Okay, it's like, a, it's like two ladders wound around each other. Like a, imagine a spring. That's exactly what you're seeing here. But you're looking at the spring, you know, wound this way. You're looking at it on end. So you're looking down the spring. So if you were to see this laid up on its side, this actually spirals down inside. That, that whole mass object is about two and a half light years across in diameter. And at the center of that is a star that exploded a long, long time ago. And the, the energy, the radiation from what's left of that star is illuminating the gas that surrounds it, the gas that used to be contained inside the star, that used to make up the star. So it really looks that color? It really, yeah. I mean, this is, a, uh, this is a, an enhanced... Uh, but yeah, if you were close to it with the with the human eye, that's what you'd see. It's amazing, <laughs> you know. And that's just one of billions of things like that out in the universe that God made for us. It's, it's just astonishing. Like just uh, the, the hatred of the lovers, it seems like. Yeah. Which kind of fond us, I suppose. I think that this reflects God's economy in, in the uh, old covenant, really. That God, uh, you know, had Israel wipe out uh, yeah. his enemies. Absolutely. David was accessing a power that he was familiar with, clearly. Last, uh, last two verses. And again, this is where David is, is basically uh, wrapping up his worship. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So again, he's asking God to search him. We discussed that. Know my heart, we discussed that, and know my thought. But try me. We had not talked about that yet. What does he mean by God, try me? <laughs> What's the word? Linda? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, um, he knows what our thoughts are. Uh-huh. He knows what's going on in there. I think the process is, I think, what David wants is he wants God to show him what's there. Because we don't always know how much is down there. Right. Good, you know? Yeah. Until sometimes it comes out of our mouth and we think, where did that come from? You know? yeah. he's, he's really, he's saying to God, test me, God. I've said these things, I've made these pledges, I've made these affirmative statements about who you are and how I want to be part of you. Try me out. Test me. Show me 
if I'm really sincere. And boy, he does, doesn't he? <laughs> we don't know exactly when this is written within David's reign, but we know for sure that God tested him many, many, many times. And he asks him, and see if there be any grievous way in me, any sin, any bad intent, and lead me in the way everlasting. Right? It's, it's interesting. Uh, what version of this is ESV? Yeah. Um, so NAS says mm-hmm. in 23, know my anxious, uh, uh, anxious yeah. thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the word anxious there actually, it's interesting, it's not there, but, but it's, the same, it's the word we get branching. Branching, right. Yeah, so it's the, know, know my thoughts that, that, go that off have all these directions, directions right. that I need to know kind of how to make those decisions right, yeah. all the way through. Process. And that actually, that, that actually, I think, would, would solidify the next, because he's saying, lead me in the way. Don't, don't let me go off in these other directions. Take me down the one path. That's, why, path. that's why I picked this picture. So. By the way, that's one of the most exclusive result, resorts in the world, in the South Pacific. Um, I have one last thing I want to show you guys. This is, and just to give you an idea of a scale, I asked Jeff this. Who can, who can give me any clue, any idea of what that's a picture of? This will blow your mind. <laughs> Looks like somebody's bottom of somebody's lamp, but I bet that's not what it is. That's awesome, though. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I think my grandmother had that lamp. <laughs> looks like a spinal column. It looks like a spinal column. So first of all, it kind of looks kind of looks like an X-ray of something, right? Yeah. Okay. This is a this is an electron micrograph. Okay. So the smallest, smallest, smallest things that you can see, right? They they do with an electron microscope. What this is. Y'all know what a bacteria looks like, right? Picture a, picture a Tylenol capsule, right? Really small. Some bacteria have these little whip tails on them, right? That help them propel through whatever medium they live in. That, that whip tail is called a bacterial flagellum. It's like where we get the word whip. This is actually an electron micrograph of the, the motor, the protein motor, that sits at the base of the bacterial flagellum. It's the rotary motor that makes that little whip tail go around. And if you go on the web and you just just look up bacterial flagellum, you'll be able to see um, a, a drawn, um, like a system, system diagram of this. I mean, this thing has a rotor, a stator, flywheel, um, a, a, a proton-generated engine. And, and it's interesting. This thing can spin at 100,000 RPMs. 100,000 RPMs, okay? 100,000. And it can stop and reverse and go in the other direction within one quarter turn. This is so far advanced from any type of engine, any engineered thing that man has ever built. This for me is, boy, if you've got anybody who's a non-believer and digs science, there's videos on the web that actually show animations of this. Show them this and then ask them, did somebody design that? I mean, just look at it. Did somebody design that? I don't care if you think it's a lamp. Doesn't it look like somebody designed that? When you think, those are just protein molecules, all those little parts. It's, just, it's really extraordinary. And, and this, is the, this is the point. This is why I love Psalm 139, because again, it goes back to whether you're looking at the biggest of the big that God created, or the smallest of the small. His fingerprints are on every single thing that he created, if we only have eyes to see. Right? So... I think that's a tremendous witness. And especially if you can really delve into Psalm 139 with somebody, there's something there for everybody, I think. Whether it's our heart condition, the way we think about things, the way we act, the way we speak, 
the way we look at God's creation. There's something there that you can latch on to. It's a great tool for witness. So it's a great tool for encouragement. Absolutely. It was. uh, It came up someone who was born with some issues, and um, it was just like you know to open her eyes to that song. You know, you know, she says she's not perfect. You know, so I'm like, but you were wonderfully made. Absolutely. She's never looked at the song that way, and I said, you were made perfectly, you know. You made exactly the way God intended you to be. Intended you to be, so, you know. And it's just such a neat psalm of, you know, a high view of God, and then putting our view of ourselves in perspective, you know. He's the one who made you. Yeah. He's the one. In in the womb, when you were this little smidgen of, you know, of life growing, you know, just it's just a view of ourselves. So who alone better to search me? And that's my life's path. Lord, keep searching me, keep, you know, leading me in a life everlasting, you know, because of all of the omniscience and, I, I don't know. It's amazing because it, it explores the bigness of God, the smallness of man, yet at both ends of the spectrum, both are important. Right. Both are dignified, both are, are glorious and connected. Right. Even in our smallness, in our powerlessness, we're precious to God. Amen. And in all of his immensity and his magnificence, he is precious, or at least ought to be, to us. So, guys, thank you very much uh, for coming out this morning. I know it was a chilly morning. Um, enjoy service today. And uh, Mark, you want to close us in prayer real quick? To. Father, we can't help but just stand in awe of your great glory and how, how uh, precious uh, your thoughts are. Um, of us and how vast the sum is of them. Father, we, we, we glory in your glory and we ask that um, we would remember these things, that these truths would be embedded and emboldened and emblazoned in our souls in a way that would cause us to be transformed in how we think about who you are and what we're going through so that today I may make different decisions to please you. And Father, I pray that you would be uh, lifted up in our midst as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Before I forget, there's a couple of resources here if you're interested. There's a phenomenal exposition by Charles Spurgeon on Psalm 139. You can find on the web, just Google Spurgeon, Psalm 139. There's also a book uh, you can get on Amazon called The Way Everlasting by E.J. Young. It's probably the definitive look at Psalm Just so everybody knows, from here on out through the end of the year, we're always in here. So just you can remember that. Um, I think it would be on the side.